Welcome to Next, brought to you by Content Labs. I'm Zelina Khan, your host, and I'm so excited to bring you season four with a brand new set of guests to educate, motivate, and hopefully inspire you in and out of the workplace. This season, we're talking to industry experts on everything from localization to artificial intelligence to the importance of perseverance. Let's dive right in. I've had many lives before coming to Transperfect. I worked in the music industry, tech startups, and I didn't know anything about the language industry. After nine years at Transperfect, I can honestly say I'm still learning something new every day. Combined with my love of tech, I've been able to watch this industry evolve, and our next guests have been pivotal in that. We're here with industry veterans, Britta Agger, CBO of Semantics, and Johan Hummel, CEO of Corian and ES Team. We touch upon everything from machine translation, cat tools, global business, and the future of language. You're in for a great episode. I know I was excited to have this conversation. I'm so honored to have you both on today. Um, our past shows have touched on language in different industries, but none of our episodes have fully focused on the translation space. And um, I mean, working at Transperfect for many years, um, there is so much I don't know. So I am personally excited about this conversation. If you're in the industry, you're in for a treat to listen to these two experts. Um, and if you come with a curious mind, uh, we hope to share some definitions and explanations along the way. I think we'll just jump right in and introduce uh, our first guest, Britta. Britta, hello. Hello. Happy to be here. Oh, we're honored to have you. Um, can you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so so I am uh, currently uh, heading up uh, Semantics. Semantics is a language service and solution provider in the Nordics, basically the biggest in the Nordic region. And we have joined uh, the Transperfect family of companies uh, a little year ago. Um, and we are now trying, of course, to on that great platform to 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 show what semantics is all about, and and not least uh, grow, continue to grow our business. Uh, and and what is mostly exciting about uh, being in this new context is um, that is so much technology driven, which is also um, the. I would say the fundamentals of, of what Transperfect is doing today. So, so that is really exciting. Uh, apart from that, um, uh, now we are saying we are moving into, into the translation space. My background is a little bit uh, weird. I, I come from more from the scientific side, from the academia. I've been uh, studying and lecturing philosophy for many years uh, before I joined this industry. However, language has always been the core of it. The interest has always been beyond translation um, because uh, language is so much more than what we can do only with uh, translation. Uh, so, so I think that is very much what we will touch upon today. Yeah. Johan, welcome. Nice to be here. Thank you. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm currently CEO of two companies, uh, Esteem and Corion. Corion deals with multilingual knowledge management. Esteem is a language technology company. 
and um, I'm a serial IT entrepreneur doing this already for a few decades. Uh, most people in the uh, language industry know me as founder of Trados. Um, I found Trados. I'm also a software developer by background, so I developed the flagship product uh, and established translation memory as the standard way of doing uh, translations and um, sold the business about almost 20 years ago now. And I live in Berlin, have three kids and uh, very happy to be here and share my thoughts about where the translation industry is going because a lot has changed since Stratos, um, but um, not really in the daily work of translators there. I think uh, things have been a bit stable, a bit too stable. Glad to talk about uh, here in this session about what the future has for us. So um, it just how I ended up at TransPerfect was just very, uh, didn't think I was going to be here. It's opened my eyes to so many things, even nine years later. How did each of you get involved in the language industry? I mean, I, I sometimes I think that I, I kind of ended here and many people say they ended up here for, for some reason. But when I think back, there, there's a clear red thread. I have always been fascinated by, by language as uh, the means for humans to understand. So it, it I mean, for me, language is inherently uh, human. Uh, in the sense of that we cannot understand anything in the world without having a concept of it. And we can also not communicate, we cannot connect with anyone else without language, in, uh, uh, essentially. Uh, and, and this is, as, as far as I can think back, has, has been my, my passion in some way. And, and for, for our business, for our customers, is how language is is really creating meaning and 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 uh, as we talked about also knowledge um, for for that uh, as I said we are not only in the translation or localization business but we are actually um, enabling a business in a way that it's uh, basis for decision making it, it's growth it's prosperity uh, for our public sectors it's I mean, it's a basis of democracy, basically. I mean, I think, yeah, very, very big words, but I think essentially that is a, a, a driver that uh, has has fascinated me in, in, in throughout all those years. I grew up in Stuttgart, and um, that's where IBM has its German headquarter. IBM was one of the first companies, if not the first company, localizing their products, products on a big scale, and they were looking for freelancers who had, let's say, some basic English knowledge and could deal with software. And I was not a computer kid, but let's say a computer teen or twin, um, spent some time in the US. So uh, I thought, here I am, I can do that. And that's, uh, IBM was at that time a bit like Xerox, very innovative. They had all this cool stuff like XML and and uh, laser printers and screens and whatever. They had all the cool stuff. Um, and also, um, they were using the grandfather, I would say, of translation memory systems, but they always had it in a way that it was way too expensive, too complex, um, I mean, not really marketable. And I, I saw this and I understood the concept and said, hmm, with the PC now and with the development tools available, um, why don't I develop such a tool in a way that it actually can be used by freelance translators? And that's how Trado started. The rest is just history. I think before we get into any of the topics, how do you two know each other? 
Yeah, I, I think may, may, I don't know, Jochen, if you have the same experience, but my first experience is that we actually met at a conference, an, uh, an, an industry conference, where uh, I first uh, heard Jochen giving a, a, actually a speech about uh, about the language industry, and he already moved on uh, and, and and moved beyond translation, so to speak, after uh, after selling uh, a Travers. Um, and and then we started working together because there's something that has always stuck with me from the first uh, first time, basically, Jochen, that that I spoke to you is that um, you had this that what you're doing now is is um, uh, it, it's more for analysts, you said. Um, and, and what you were interesting is to elevate strings to meaning so that that we go from from language or for, from a word to actually meaning in context. And this is something that that, that Johan is working with uh, today. And this has stuck with me from the very beginning. And then, uh, I mean, this industry is, 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 is rather small. So um, then at, at some point, uh, Johan actually contacted me uh, for an opportunity to work together on, on, a, on a very large uh, contract for, for uh, a European uh, institution uh, where the task was to both have the, the software part, but also the human part. Um, and, uh, even if we were, um, I think we, we punched up our weight at, at that time, at, at that, that time to, to pull this off, but we managed to win this very big contract. Um, uh, and then we have been working to, together ever since. So we've worked now, how long? Almost eight years, very closely together. And um, one thing I understood a bit too late in my career, I should have done this or understood this much earlier, is that I was always a tech guy and said, I am selling technology and uh, services done by basically by my customers. It's great that you both have been able to collaborate and work on multiple contracts and projects together. Um, what are some of the things your clients look for, ask for when they come to both of you for solutions? Selling technology is getting more and more difficult because technology moves fast, it's complex, and many companies have a hard time buying technology because just to spec something out already requires certain know-how, which for many companies and customers is hard to get. So what customers actually are looking for is a solution uh, where services is always a part of. And um, so I'm very glad to have uh, with Britta uh, and her organization, a partner where we can, as a consortium working together, provide a full solution and uh, play, let's say, our technical, but also organizational uh, strengths and for providing complete solutions, end-to-end -end solutions for our customers. So, Britta, you, you brought up semantics. Johan, you brought up Corian. How has semantics translation and interpretation services intertwined with Corian? Uh, I think as, as we just mentioned, it, we are, we are working on, I would say contracts, but also projects together. And then what we are working very closely on is to somehow also work on, let's say, new business models or delivery models as, as such. Um, so, so that is, that is the basis of, of what we're doing together. So it's not only servicing a, a specific customer need, but also always work on, on the improvement and, and, and the innovation 
question of, of, of what we can do together. Because this is what, what we clearly see also for the future of, of our industry that, um, we, we want to go beyond that. Uh, there's something that, uh, we can unlock in, in the way that we, uh, work together. I know CAT tools play a large role in machine translation and other translation technologies have emerged from this. But for our listeners who are not that familiar with the language industry, can you please give a definition of what CAT tools are? That's for computer-assisted translation, and they're CAT tools. It's a product category, which I think I helped to define and establish. And uh, CAT tools, computer-assisted translation, is uh, positioned uh, against machine translation. So in machine translation, a machine translates. So English text in, German text out. In computer-assisted translation, there's a human who is translating, but is assisted by uh, a piece of software. And in most cases, this is done through by using a translation memory. And a translation memory is a database of sentences which already have been translated. So English sentence, German sentence, English sentence, German sentence. And whenever there is a sentence which already has occurred before, which of course with documentation happens very often, then uh, that sentence is translated automatically. And if not, well, maybe then there's a similar sentence where just the word has been changed, a so-called fuzzy match, well, then that's retrieved. And then uh, it's much easier, of course, to change then this word, this one word, than doing it from scratch. And that approach, computer-assisted translation, working with a translation memory, plus in the supportive role, a terminology base, that has been the model for the last 25 years. Um, Trados being the first product and the products who came later more or less followed that model. So that model has never been really challenged. And uh, that model also created the business model of the industry. So the industry works with the unit word as uh, as the main unit. And then you have a certain price for a word, which is a 100% match, a fuzzy match, or a no match. So that's the currency of the industry, the price metrics, how the whole industry has worked. So you mentioned this model has been used for 25 years. A lot has changed since then. Computers are many magnitudes of orders more powerful and certain advances has been made, have been made in AI and other areas. So that uh, I think it's about time to rethink this whole model, to rethink that process because translation memories also have introduced quite a few problems, quite a few challenges. Uh, in terms of data management, uh, in order to keep them clean. Also, these segments, they're taking out of context. So even a 100% match needs to be reviewed. Um, text changes, terminology changes. These changes, of course, are then not reflected in the translation memory. So there are quite a few issues um, which translation memories uh, introduce to the process. And, um, and at the same time, machine translation has become better and better and has seen uh, such a jump in quality that by now uh, it's about time, and I'm saying this already for a couple of years, to rethink these processes. And maybe CUT has seen its in it and should be sunsetted and replaced by a different way of doing things. <laughs> oh, yeah. So as a big believer in technology driving this industry, do you think translation will eventually solely depend on machines or do you see the need for always some sort of human involvement what i'm talking about here is in my opinion kind of a disruption and i don't like that word very much 
because it is um, it is pretty aggressive and hyped and overused. Machine translation claims to have achieved human parity. And most people, of course, would challenge that and say, no, no, no. Uh, how can be a machine as good as a human? But uh, they ask the wrong question. They define human parity as being as good as a human, which uh, a machine in most cases still is not. Yeah. But the thing is, the reality in production is that when you outsource translations over a long supply chain, uh, you only get a certain quality, also quality you're willing to wait for or to pay for. Right? So the question is not whether um, a human can be as good or machine translation is as good as a human. The question is more whether it's as, let's say, mediocre as what you typically get when you outsource it to a supply chain. And if you answer that question with yes, If you define human parity like this, well, then everything changes. And that's the disruptive in this technology. It's not only a tech and the word flow and roles would change. Also, business models will change. And that's the hardest and the most, let's say, what has the biggest effect. Because uh, implementing new technologies is rather easy for companies. Changing business models, most companies fail to do. Yeah. And I want to add to that, that, I mean, also... The complexity ha ha has increased even further because also content types have have changed a lot. We we see very very different types of contents and and, and channels today, uh, and with that also I would say the 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 definition of quality, where where we might have a definition of of human quality that is that that one translator translate one word into to another, but today businesses. Have, have many other requirements. Sometimes it's uh, it's time to market uh, that where then maybe machine translation would actually fit that purpose. Uh, and, and other times it could be that it should actually not be a literal translation, but it should be maybe more creative tech. So then it's all about the customer experience and making sure that the brand voice is is preserved. And, and all of these, let's say, more um, nuances and, and complexities are actually not able to, to be produced in, in that very stiff cat tool that uh, Johan once created. <laughs> <laughs> There's a misconception that NMT is augmented. For those that don't know, NMT means neural machine translation. The way it works is that the program's neural network encodes and decodes source text. Very heavy. Um, can you both explain how language service providers are pitching NMT to their clients? Yeah, so this concept of augmented translation, that's what the industry is putting forward. And uh, there's a nice graphic uh, which puts the linguist literally, uh, figuratively, in the center. And then the linguist taps into terminology databases, into translation memory, into machine translation, into enriched content, into project management. And then there's this linguist in the center who uses all these data sources to be a more efficient Uh, and better knowledge worker. And I think this picture is, has many problems. And the main problem is um, some of these strategies, it's all about recycling. Also machine translations about recycling previously made translations. They overlap. They compete with each other. And also um, the client, so the software interface, 
the, the linguist is then using to tap into all these sources becomes very, very complex. If you look at a modern CAT tool, it looks like a developer studio from a software developer. You need a huge screen, you have all kinds of windows opens. So very complex. So what do you think how many people in the world can handle that kind of complexity? A couple of 10,000 translators, but that's about it. They're very productive, but they do this all day long. The recycling strategies are overlapping. And um, and you are very limited uh, because there are only so many linguists who can deal with this complexity. We believe uh, that it would be much smarter to actually not put the linguist into the center, but take the linguist out of, at least out of doing words. And instead have a workflow where you first recycle content, not with a translation memory, but by recycling larger chunks of content which are in context and therefore safe recycling and can be locked. The rest you machine translate. Then you try to measure the quality. And if the quality is, as Britta mentioned, for certain types of texts uh, is fit for purpose, you're done. No linguist required. You're done. Yeah? If not, well, then there will be certain segments which do not match this criteria. Well, then what you want to do is, is to look at these and not at everything. And to look at these, but then also have the system telling you why you should look at these. Maybe there's a wrong term, or maybe a named entity has missed, or maybe something just looks fishy because the source sentence was 20 words, the target sentence is five words, whatever. But then you are, instead of going through the whole text and have all these windows, instead you are like reviewing a contract, a red line contract, you jump from issue to issue, system tells you why, and then you're done. Now, of course, the question, when I tell this in a conference, people always stare at me and say, well, what does it mean? Am I out of job now? Yeah. Do you tell me I can go home? Well, no, because in order to do all this, uh, I mean, AI needs to be trained. Uh, workflows need to be built. Multilingual knowledge needs to be created. Data and repositories need to be curated. So there are new roles for linguists. And the nice thing is these roles require much more knowledge and uh, have a multiplier because you can only do so many words, even with Trados, you can only do so many words a day. But if you set up a system to work for you and process words, then you will multiply your knowledge. You train your knowledge, you keep your knowledge, you put it into a system, which is... I would say arguably much more fun, but also uh, much more productive. So there are new roles for linguists, which are, let's say, much more interesting, have a much greater, much higher value, and therefore also should be much better paid. And, and, and to add to that, again, from a, from a quality perspective, we believe that this is actually the way to, to ensure and, and even an, an enhance quality um, because it is all about also feedback loops uh, in this and, and measuring uh, throughout. So what, what machine translation in many, many instances still is, and, and, and actually also new machine translation, it's still a black box. If you just put everything into that, you don't know really what's coming out of it. But if you, if you have, have a process like, like, like we described, then you will have a constant, uh, feedback loop and also understand, uh, what the quality is and, and where the issues are. Um, you brought up, um, products and I immediately thought of the retail industry and, you know, the blow it took in the last couple of years. Um, how has the pandemic 
have impacted your industries? Um, good question. I mean, of course, it was driving e-commerce for a while. Yeah. So I've just a while ago seen a, a presentation where somebody said that the pandemic actually accelerated e-commerce by five years or so. Um, and oh, I thought that sounds cool. But um, recently I read, ah, oh, it's kind of falling back into its old path. So advanced five years and it jumped back three years. So I don't know uh, whether the pandemic really had a, a big or lasting effect on uh, these kind of use cases. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, in, in general, in our industry, we say that, I mean, we, we have, we have been, been lucky. I also want to, to highlight, as, uh, as Jochen also stressed, is that I think the biggest changes is more from, from a uh, yeah, almost societal uh, level that, uh, that digitalization per se um, is something that that nobody can <laughs> can deny anymore and and of course in in some markets more than 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 others so so while uh, I, i'm in, in in the nordics we have a very high degree of of digitalization in in the whole society whereas Jochen, you're in in germany is that lacks a bit <laughs> yeah, uh, and and so. that <laughs> that i believe is 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 for the good of of everyone uh because it it requires a, a new thinking and and i think that we will see um businesses need to rethink their uh, their delivery models as well um, Johan, you mentioned uh, linguists, you know, possibly getting overwhelmed and now they're no longer at the center of, um, you know, the process. Uh, can we, and, you know, we threw around quality and quantity. Is there a world where we're going to have both um, now with these new, new advancements? Yes, of course. I mean, when we talk about these new things and new ways of doing things, I mean, mind you, there are companies who are introducing translation memory today, uh, 25 or 30 years after it has been established. So there's this talk about the futures already here, but it's very unevenly distributed. And of course, that will continue like that. And we can see that already also, and especially, and I think that is extremely exciting for, for us and, and for the industry as such that I mean, we now also, uh, in, in our context, we speak a lot about AI. We also speak about data and, and we speak about the data that is language data, basically. So here is really, as you just said, here is an opportunity to position the value that is created through language in a completely new way. Um, from, from being a service provider that is paid by the, by the word and, and always as, 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 as little as possible. Uh, we can now, uh, with uh, combining AI and, and machine learning in, um, in, in, in a more innovative way, we can actually move on as, uh, onto a strategic level where this becomes a data point for decision making in, in, in businesses. Um, and I think for, for us as an, as an industry, that is, that is probably the, the, uh, the most exciting perspective we have had for, for decades. Yeah, I think uh, artificial intelligence and its impact is amazing. Um, are there other ways that you feel like artificial intelligence will play a role in, in localization and in the language industry? Well, I would rather phrase the question differently. I would rather phrase the question like, how will the data 
which we generate. I always talk about linguistic assets. So the linguistic assets we are generating, how will they, can be, they be deployed and how will they drive other use cases and localization? Because mind you, um, the localization industry, um, they're still following a model. Um, I called it the broadcast model where they think there is a content owner, a brand owner, and um, they want to talk to their customers. And, um, and of course, these customers speak different languages. And so the, um, we are helping them um, to talk to their global customer base. So take the tagline of AWS, take global content and ideas further. Or Transperfect, deliver our clients' messages all over the globe or we localize. Transform your content and data to capture business worldwide. It's always the idea that we are helping clients to deliver their message, their content, to broadcast it globally. But I think that that model is um, outdated because what do we do as a customer or as a citizen in the 21st century? Actually, what we do is we're talking back and we're supposed to talk back. We're invited to talk back. So we're not supposed to call somebody or get an agent if we have a problem. No, we, we get a form and then we type in our support problem or we have to talk to a chatbot. Huh? And if we don't get the problem resolved, then we go on social media and complain uh, and whine. Huh? So yes, we, are we, talking, <laughs> we are talking back. So it's not about broadcasting content anymore. It's about communication and communication goes both ways. And mind you, if a company has a, a corporate language, in most cases English, then they keep everything in English and only on the fringes, on the interface to the customers, they translate, which is often even done by a subsidiary or by a trading partner, a reseller or so. But when you communicate, well, then it happens in all languages. It doesn't help that your business, uh, your company language is English. And the one who master that process better, so the one who has a better communication with its customer base, who understands also competition and the market, local markets better, that company will win. And, and another example on, on that is uh, not only are the customer talking back, but they are also searching for your products or your services in their own language. Yes. Uh, and, and if they don't find that, uh, if it's just a, a string that you can search for and, and, and hope to be, be, be lucky that you will be found. No, they, they search in, in their particular way, in, in, in their language, uh, and also in, in their cultural context. It's a very good point, Britta. And when you are a customer in a huge market, like the American market, of course, you don't feel that. But now imagine you live in the Czech Republic or in Malta or Estonia, and you search for products and you enter the search string and check. Well, immediately you're caught not only in language silo, but in a local market. There might be a company in Germany selling the same product or other products at a cheaper price or better product. You will never find it. So even a company like Amazon hasn't figured that one out. As soon as you enter a string in a certain language, you're restricted to the offerings which exist in this country. So a simple, innocent product search already is basically dysfunctional, even on the biggest um, websites. So um, a very good example how language uh, limits your possibilities to find the best products at the best price. I've really enjoyed listening to your opinions. What's your hope for um, the language industry? I mean, the language industry and linguists, if you want to go ahead and get into that too. 
I believe uh, AI will change everything. It's a total game changer and everybody would agree. And AI, how does AI work? Well, by tra being trained with human data and half of that data is textual and textual data is always multilingual. And where do you find this high quality data and where do you find people who can deal with that data and where do you find people who can test this data and uh, assess the quality of what the AI produces? Well, these are the linguists and this data is created in translation, localization and documentation. So if linguists are smart enough to understand all this, and that's not only true for linguists, it's also true for LSPs, for the companies who are moving in that space. If they understand what kind of assets they're actually owning and what kind of workforces they're actually having and what they could contribute to, then I think they will move at the center of the AI wave. So if people understand this and are smart and understand the multilingual dimension of it, then we will all move from the fringes into the core of the biggest revolution mankind probably has ever seen. We touch about throughout the conversation and also as, as Jochen just said that we have this uh, unique opportunity to, to position language not as an afterthought or, or, or something that is uh, uh, basically a, a cost driver but, but actually a, a revenue driver that from, from a let's say business point of view. Um, but I also see that it will uh, create even more opportunities for you mentioned yourself uh, I mean uh, diversity inclusion because uh, in, in the end that is uh, as I mentioned the for, for me the the essence also of democracy only if you can speak only if you can be understood you can also be part of that global community and the global society um, and and I think that that uh, that we can and we should uh, position ourselves uh, exactly in that intersection. Uh, I am so honored. This was amazing. I want to do. We have one more thing. We want to do a little bit of a word association. I'll say a word, and then each of you um, can say the first word that comes to mind. Right, um, and I think it'll be very juicy if you don't say the same word. So, so we'll go. The first word is language. System. Meaning. Technology. Invent innovation. Fun. Linguists. <sighs> Your face, Johan. I know you have some. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you're frozen or if you're really just thinking. Cool. Maybe, I should, maybe I should say hero. Mm. Translation. Machine. It's got to be the first word, Britta. The yeah. First word. I, I always say, don't talk about the T word. <laughs> I could take that as an answer. Good. Clients. Success. Global. Localization. Industry. Workflow. The last one is knowledge. System. <laughs> <laughs> this was fun so if 
people would like to connect with you both, how can they do so? Yeah, I mean, find us on on our, our website, uh, Twitter. Yeah, and of course, also on LinkedIn, but also on Twitter. I'm typically used by clear names, so very easy to find. Like I said, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you. That was fun. Language is knowledge. It's at the core of everything we do. I mean, we wouldn't be able to connect with one another without it. The work is meaningful. We're able to deliver content to clients all over the world in every industry possible. With technology as a disruptor, the industry is evolving and it's going to continue to evolve as customers' needs change and grow. I'm excited to see where it's all heading. I encourage you to connect with Britta and Johan on LinkedIn and Twitter to continue the conversation and stay up to date, as I'm pretty sure these two will be a part of the changes to come. Before I go, I'll leave you with a quote by Rita Mae Brown. Language is the roadmap of a culture. It tells you where its people come from and where they're going. Until next time. If you made it to the end of this episode, thank you for listening. Make sure you hit the like button and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at nextpodcast at transperfect.com or visit our website at nextpodcast.transperfect.com. Support for this podcast comes from Transperfect, a family of companies providing language and technology solutions for global business. 